We're proud to be sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, win time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and much more. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit MyFlexLearning.com B to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's MyFlexLearning.com B-E. Every child deserves a team. That's the belief behind Jigsaw Learning, a proud sponsor of the Bee Podcast Network. And it's why the company, founded by educators Curtis and Lorna Hewson, focuses on ensuring success for all learners through collaborative response an approach in which every child is supported by a team. Through customized professional learning that incorporates workshops, leadership development, online learning opportunities, and more, Jigsaw Learning can guide you every step of the way to create a plan to maximize the collective capacity in your schools. Learn more at jigsawlearning.ca. We have got to rewrite our narratives in public education, or in education period. We've got to rewrite our narrative. We've got to champion our teachers. We've got to champion the success of our kids. And, man, that's what gives me the drive every day coming to work, doing my early morning walks. Man, I am so pumped up about how can we transform our movement. Dr. Chris Jones here, and welcome to Seeing to Lead, a show designed to help leaders increase their ability to effectively support, engage, and empower their staff through intentional practices so that they create an environment where everyone reaches their greatest level of success. On Seeing to Lead, communication rules the day as we hear voices from both teachers and leaders in an effort to examine perspectives, highlight misunderstandings, and provide steps to ultimately bridge the gap between what teachers need and provide through thoughtful dialogue. This show is about amplifying voices, creating understanding, and providing information to help everyone continually improve. I want to personally thank you for taking the time. Now, let's get to getting better. Joshua Yeager is a servant leader who strives to be compassionate and loyal while holding a high level of integrity. With 15 years of dedicated service in the areas of business, education, and leadership, he feels that now is the time to collaboratively be a catalyst of change by providing a high level of quality leadership that increases principal and teacher capacity. Joshua has held many leadership roles in K-12 schools, such as teacher, coach, literacy coordinator, assistant principal, special projects principal, and director of schools. He is currently a PhD candidate in curriculum and instruction with an emphasis in leadership at the American College of Education in Indianapolis, Indiana. Joshua has a continued commitment to ensuring that all students and teachers are competitive at the highest level in a global society. Currently, he resides in Hattiesburg and has one daughter who's a freshman in high school. I'm excited to welcome Joshua to the podcast. He's had many roles, so he's got a really wide perspective on the theme of building capacity in teachers, leaders, and students. Welcome, Joshua. Well, thank you so much for that, uh, that, that wonderful introduction. I'm excited to be with you today, and I hope I can, I can learn from you, and we can just put our heads together and have a great conversation. 
Sounds awesome. I mean, that's that's what this is all about, right? It's funny because I talk to people who ask me about the podcast and I say, well, one of the best things about this podcast is I get to learn so much from the people I talk to that it's, it's you mentioned earlier in our pre-chat that it's like PD. It is. It is the best professional development ongoing, real time. You know, it is very, very uh, descriptive to what we need as school leaders each and every day. I fall asleep to listening to the to the Ed podcast. I, I drive into work listening to the Ed podcast. I send them out to my teachers. It is absolutely wonderful. No, that well, then let's uh, tell you what. Let's uh, get to talking and create something that we can not fall asleep to, but send out to our teachers. How's that sound? Hey, that's beautiful. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so, Josh, you know, uh, you've had a lot of different roles in education. So could you just flesh out your journey for us a little bit and, and talk to us about how you've, you've come to sit where you are now after going through all those different roles? Absolutely. I'd love to. Here in South Mississippi, we have, we have wonderful schools. And when I got into education, I got into education first, like we all did, teaching and I was also coaching. Man, I, I, I tried to coach every uh, athletic sport I possibly could just for the experience. I loved it. I loved being around the kids. But here in the, in the Deep South, we have a, a strong culture with our public schools um, where, and, and unfortunately, even though we have a, a high poverty rate here in our state, we have some really, really good schools, and we'll talk about that later. Um, but my design as far as being being in the schools that I've served in, in the positions, was kind of by design. And here's why. Oftentimes in our public schools here, we get comfortable. And in the Deep South, our, our school leaders get comfortable. And I quickly realized and understood that in order for me to be able to maximize the capacity of whoever I was serving um, uh, in our schools, I had to understand what rural education looked like what urban education looked like. I needed to understand what um, uh, special education schools looked like so I could be able to, to, to build capacity for myself. So early on teaching, um, I taught U.S. history, loved the classroom. If I could go back to it, I would today. I taught algebra, the, a, a wide spectrum of, of content areas that I taught. But Leading up into my first administrative role, I began to fall in love with the curriculum and instruction side of our movement. And I quickly realized that the way I was teaching was a good way, but it wasn't necessarily the only way to teach. So I, I began to pursue graduate level studies in the curriculum and instruction arena, uh, but even before pursuing uh, our administrative uh, certification here. And I fell in love with being a teacher leader. So with that, I was able to get into literacy. Now, I'm a secondary guy. I've spent the majority of my, my career in 912. And, you know, most 912 schools aren't, aren't, do not receive Title I funds, so we, we don't focus a whole lot on literacy instruction. So this began to open the door in the chapter for my dissertation and my longitudinal studies that I've done with throughout the state the last several years. But leading up into the administrative roles, uh, I have been fortunate to uh, to be a director of schools over the special education uh, schools. I had four schools that were my responsibility in the state. I was able to lead up literacy curriculum for a very large uh, school district uh, in a very large area here in South Mississippi. And then I was uh, fortunate to uh, become a building level principal. 
And out of all of my roles, whether it be in the central office level or in the curriculum departments, the building level principal position is my absolute favorite. I love being in the trenches. And what motivates me every day is we have got to rewrite our narrative in public education uh, or in education period. We've got to rewrite our narrative. We've got to champion our teachers. We've got to champion the success of our kids. And man, that's what gives me the drive every day coming to work, doing my early morning walks. Man, I am so pumped up about how can we transform our movement. Teachers are not teachers. They're practitioners. We'll get into that a little bit later. Well, there we go. Let's start it off all fired up. You, um, the idea of championing teachers and championing our students, you know, it's, um, I myself, anybody listening to this knows that, you know, I'm, I'm about being teacher centered and, uh, that's how I reach a wider variety of students or a larger population of students is by, by bolstering teachers and, uh, really, really helping them out. You know, you've got that central theme of building capacity. And if you could just take a second and, and tell our listeners what, what you mean by that and how you go about getting that done. I think people could benefit from hearing, you know, some of the techniques that you use to help build that capacity. The very first premise of maximizing the capacity of our teachers, and the reason I start with my teachers, and I think you and I would agree with this, being teacher-centric, from the office of the principal, not the assistant principal or your, your, your leadership in the building, but the office of the principal, we, if we want to place our children first on everything we do, we have to be teacher-centric. Uh, because when we maximize the capacity of those teachers, those guys are going to impact those kids far greater than we, you and I ever will as a principal. So with that mindset, efficacy, we have got to rewrite our narrative and we've got to, teachers will perform to what he or she believes that, that they can perform their job and specific duties in. Uh, uh, last month, the early part of June, uh, I was able to do some uh, presentations that are making connections. Our statewide teacher conference on the coast it was wonderful. And that one of the title of my uh, presentations was Schooling a Practitioner's Paradise. And the way I, I try to maximize the capacity of my teachers is we have got to treat our educators just like our medical professionals are treated and respected, whether you are a physician saving lives or a nurse preparing to save lives or in the healthcare administrative side of things. And here's why 99% of our ed departments are founded from the department of psychology, which is a medically based background of cognitive brain development. Our teachers perform cognitive brain developments every day with our students. We, we diagnose, we prognose, we, 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 we treat, uh, we have professional meetings each and every day. Uh, you know, one way I maximize the capacity of my teachers is this, you know, PLCs, you know, to four to four back 20 years ago, did a great job with the PLC developer. We have abused the term PLC. I do not allow the word PLC in my building. It is called med exec meetings. And we, we, it's the same kind of concept but we utilize a very detailed professional development plan. We do PDD, which is professional development of differentiated instruction. When we take a look at the data, when we take a look at the student performance, before we leave those med exec meetings, we will have a, a, a plan to improve the teaching quality and performance 
of those students. And man, when you do that, you talk about common places and common languages of, of, of teachers. Um, uh, you know, another thing, I don't call my teachers teachers. I call them practitioners. Every morning at 720, they get on the uh, intercom. Great morning, practitioners and scholars. I teach my teachers to believe and have the efficacy that they are practitioners. And we, we work on our practices each and every day, and we become very reflective within that practice. And when you create that culture, when you create that environment, man, you know this, when those teachers get fired up, all we got to do is sit back and watch them do the work. It is absolutely amazing. I love that you said that. And just to reflect back a little bit to make sure, because I think you said something really important. People perform at the level they believe they can. Mm-hmm. And if they if they don't think they can do it, that efficacy piece is so important. But some one of the ways that you got at it, that you used a couple examples, is just the small things like language. Language is so important because that's what people, I mean, you're talking cognitively, that's what people take in. Uh, no matter how we, and there's all kinds of communication, there's nonverbal, verbal, paraverbal, all that. But just that, that importance of calling them practitioners instead of teachers. And I noticed that you referred to your students as scholars and not students to get that academic mindset going. So once you get that efficacy going, once they believe that, how do you, because you're right, once teachers get fired up and they're, they're engaged, how do you take that next step and support them through a level of empowerment where they just take it and run with it? This is my champion teacher's movement. You know, every school district has these, you know, award banquets at the end of the school year. But this is what I have learned to do in my building. Um, we talk about PD, all the dreaded PD. You know, you see all those memes on, on social media where the teachers, another PD. You know, I seen one the other day. It's professional development season, you know, and the teachers are sitting back slumped over in their chair. You know, like, here we go again. Same. That's not how we do professional development here in my building. The way we do professional development, it, it's it's job embedded, JEPD and LCPD and PDD. And what all those acronyms mean pretty much in a sense is we actually champion the work of the teachers. When we have our seven or eight professional development days that are listed on our school calendar each year, we have a conference right here at my high school. Our teachers go into their, into certain rooms, they present their strengths and we review these strengths throughout the year in, our, in my 868 model um, of PD, and they are the champion experts. And when we do that, I always get our local universities. We are surrounded by the University of Southern Mississippi. We've got Mississippi State University, uh, you know, in William Carey here, University, and I get those teacher ed deans and those teacher ed uh, professors. I get them here. I showcase my teachers. I put them on a pedestal like they've never felt before. And you want to talk about, I don't have a teacher turnover problem. I never have. I don't have that. Actually, I believe in growing my own, and I have teachers trying to get into the school, and that has just fostered a great belief system that, that under our, what we do here is I showcase those teachers. Prime example, I'll t- give you a quick example. Just last week, I got an email from the University of Southern Mississippi about, and the, from their teacher ed program. They wanted to highlight our teachers in some curriculum design research that they're doing. And uh, those teachers, you know, they get little stipends here and there. Those, my teachers that are participating in this are getting well over, uh, they're getting several thousand dollars for the school year. I'll put it to you like that. For, for participating in these type of studies. When your teachers, 
And when you put teachers on a pedestal, just as they, they should be, it doesn't matter the salary levels of those teachers. It doesn't matter what degree level, what certification level they have. Those teachers will rise to the occasion. They will respect and love to come to work. And they will become practitioners, not only just in common language, but in their everyday practice. It's amazing. Now I just sit back and I lead it and I take the take the reins, you know, and I deal and we have those difficult conversations, of course, but it's a wonderful thing, man. I tell you, it just gets me excited. I can't wait till August 4th when those kids come back to campus. <laughs> You're so, you know, what you're saying is so powerful and um, just resonates so much. I, I want to dig into that whole conference piece uh, a little more. Mm-hmm. You're right. PD has to be redone. Me personally, my faculty meetings are different. They're not your average faculty meeting. And, and I changed that as soon as I came into the principalship because I had heard teachers refer to, when I was an assistant principal, I heard teachers in my building referring to faculty meetings as faculty detention. Mm. And um, just PD, a lot of PD is just so brutal, not meaningful, comes down from on high and just really isn't relevant. So what we did at my school is we actually had an in-house conference like you're talking about and, and rotated through. And the interesting thing about it is, just as a piece of proof of what you're saying, just to kind of solidify that for the listeners, is I screwed up the first time. I had my teachers presenting, but, you know, I, I looked at what we needed as a school. I, I gave them different topics. I selected the teachers that I knew were good in those topics, and they presented. And then I did the thing that I encourage all leaders to do. You got to go to the staff for feedback, and then you got to listen to it. And what they did was they gave feedback all over the place, how they loved it. It was great. They learned a lot but they felt bad for the presenters because they didn't get to go see other teachers present. They were stuck presenting things like that. Well, so what I did is I opened it up to staff and said, okay, I want to hold an in-house conference, but I need presenters who's willing to present. And boy, did they come forward. They came forward with tech help. They came forward with having discussions around homework. They came forward. I have teachers that do a deskless classroom in my school. They got rid of desks so that they could foster interactions among students better and things like that. They presented on that gamification and you saying you just had to sit back. All I did was sit back. I just asked for volunteers. They put it on and our biggest one was, and then all I had to do, right? The work I had to do was figure out the schedule. Yeah. That's right. So our biggest one was the importance of movement in classrooms Mm -hmm. by the PE teachers. Everybody wanted to go to that. And I can't tell you how many people left saying, you know, Dr. Jones, that was the best PD I've ever been to. So what you're, kudos to you. That, I mean, what you're saying is fantastic. You know, when you talk about, you think when you hear PD, you know, your ELA and your math and your sciences and histories, we, we oftentimes forget about our art teachers and our music teachers and our band teachers and our coaches. But those individuals are just as important to utilize. And those individuals, and once they feel that appreciation, man, you talk about my, my, my football coaches and basketball coaches within the building. When they feel like they're really valued and appreciated as an educator as opposed just to a coach, those guys get that coaching mentality. My head football coach is, is doing this actually um, in, in the next coming weeks with, with a lot of the, the staff here, the, our content area experts, he is really creating a model 
for those teachers to have a coaching mentality on our lower lower performing students. It is a beautiful thing. Um, so I'm with you. I think I think you you and I really have a lot of commonalities, and it's just man, I'm pumped up. I'm ready to go. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say about the coaching preach that that just goes right into another piece of it and how teaching yes. But leadership, how often do we overlook that leadership with teachers is coaching? We need to take on a coaching mentality and work with teachers through that. You don't you don't just throw out teachers that are bad. You don't just do this. You work with them because they can be great. They can. And that's the thing. You know, you 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 you, you mentioned this. Coaching is a different um, formal um, type of leadership development piece. That's really descriptive if you want to do it right, coaching right. When you coach a a teacher or when you coach an assistant or whomever it is under your realm of leadership and you coach them, it is, it's not one of these, this is how you do it. No, you don't just show somebody how to do something. You sit down, you show them the why. You you build that base so their their mindset can then really capture the reason and the purpose of why we're having to do this, the impact, and learn to even evaluate it. You know, you talk about the, the plan, do, check, act models. You talk about all of the, the all of this self-directed improvement system for continuous improvement. If you can get the mindset and the people that you lead to be thinking that way and everything that they do talk about whole school improvements. That's continuous. It just becomes second nature. So that's a good point. Hey, Josh, you're, you're saying so much about you hit on such a big thing with highlighting teachers, putting them on a pedestal and everything. And I know that you're, you're passionate about building capacity. What I want to do is just take a break here from our sponsors real quick, but then come back and continue this conversation about what, a perfect school that's firing on all cylinders looks like for students and teachers. Okay. And we're back with Josh Yeager and, you know, we got a little fired up before we went on break. That was a good thing. I don't, I don't want to break that up or anything, but I'm pretty sure we'll, we'll hit it again in, uh, in no time. But uh, one of the things I want to talk about is, okay, so we laid out the idea of building capacity and what that means and some ways you do that and, and putting teachers up on a pedestal, you're very clear on what you want a school to look like. So what I'm interested in is if I walk into a school that you're leading that's firing on all cylinders, um, what's that look like, feel like, what's going on? What do I, what do I see among teachers and, and uh, students and things like that? I think for me and, and the way I like my school, I don't like a quiet school just because a classroom is quiet doesn't mean that active learning is taking place. But what you will find on my campus is that teachers are are, uh, collegially working together, collaboratively working together. I believe in building programs in every uh, department. And what I mean by that, that's the old coach coming out of me, is building a program, is that everything has to have some type of level of evaluation. And just when you have a level of evaluation doesn't mean, oh my goodness, here we go, it's boring, we're going to be rated on how our performance level is. No, 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 that's not what I'm saying. But how does whatever we're doing impact for change our campus? Simple example, our PTA uh, organization, You know, everything that we do, we follow the PDCA model, the plan, do, check, and act, which is a form of continuous improvement. 
Um, and from everything, from our grading techniques, from our parent-teacher organizations, from our football wins and losses, everything we do. And every, every adult on my campus, I challenge them each and every day to do their absolute best. And if they always do their absolute best, we're going to have a productive school in every facet. Now, what does it look like? My halls are cheerful. My faculty meetings are full of joy. It's, there's a, there's a, a faculty meeting thing that I do just about every other day, and it's called, I haven't seen you in 20 years, my long-lost best friend in 20 years. That joy and excitement carries over into our meetings. Um, our classrooms, you know, we have engaging classrooms. I have 10th, 11th, and 12th grade classes that are even duly, duly credited and duly enrolled at the local junior college and, and universities where we have learning centers in those classrooms. It is, it's our meetings around clinic style. We're very, I'm very big on clinicians, clinician work. We're like, well, how do you do that in teaching and leading? Oh, it's every day. If you do it right, that's what we do. We have lab coat ceremonies, white coat ceremonies on the, on the graduate level, uh, high school level here. We promote our champion, our students. We champion our teachers. We put ourselves in a position to feel really, really appreciated and valued. And I guess to answer your question, is that the school, you know, we can't make everybody happy. And, and, and the greatest leaders are not the yes men and women of today. Uh, the greatest leaders are those who do have a solid enough backbone to say, you know, although I value this, or although I think this is a great idea, you know, we can't do this because the policy won't allow us. That's not a good answer or way to respond. The best way to respond is, I value this, and we need to take a look at how we can implement this into our policies, because policies are meant to grow and develop and change. Rules, not necessarily, but policies, yes. So I think it's a mindset, growth mindset. My building is, I work very hard, we work very hard on the growth mindset challenge where we, everything we do, why are we doing it? What is it impacting or how is it impacting our students and how does it impact us as professionals and personally? I think if we do that, uh, the school is running. I mean, social emotional learning is a big, you know, big buzz right now with, with, with everything that we've had going on in our country. But the main focus of my school is I want it to be very live. You know, we're live stream everything we do. We're full of energy. I'm up and down the hallways. We're very visible. My leadership team is that of the same. And we're having a we're having school. We are back to school every day, brand new, and champion teachers and champion students. That's fantastic. That's that's excellent. And you know, one of the things you said about the whole policy thing, too often we let things get in our way, right? And 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 it's almost, and I I don't know if I'm if I'm saying something bad here or what, but it's almost as if we that's that excuse we look for if if we don't want to push that extra mile is, oh, we can't, you know, you kind of get to that little bump. And I, I talk a lot about whenever you run across something like that, you know, you get in a meeting or something and it becomes, well, we do this if only, and those two words, if only, you know, that kind of dreaming we, that if only we had this, or if only that policy wasn't way, I, I encourage people to switch those two words to what if, Mm -hmm. and just the mindset difference between if only, which is negative to what if, 
it helps think up different ways that you can get around things. Oh, absolutely. It's our, it's our perceptions. You know this by completing your dissertation, you look at perceptions. I had a professor one time tell me, you know, when I first started, well, what does it matter what people think? I said, well, that's what kind of initiates change, what we think and feel, you know. And then I had a professor sit there and tell me, you know, I think perceptions are important. But perceptions are so very important because here's, here's why. All of the policy the federal government puts out for our schools and state governments, most of the time do not contain teachers. And teachers don't have a voice. My teachers at this campus have a voice in everything we do. Um, they decide. It's their school. It's their uh, practice. Um, and so forth, you know, and so for our students. So I think that mindset, instead of saying we can't or if, only if, but what if, and using the term and... We need to do this because if you're being successful, reflective leadership is only good and productive if we do reflect. And when we reflect, we're supposed to change things. So I think we're always evolving. And that's the only way we're going to keep up with our students today and getting the best bang for the buck with them is, is understanding how we can uh, maximize students, too. Uh, I know we, we, spoke, we spoke a lot about teachers but you and I get that mindset. We got to maximize our teachers because once we do that, they're going to take care of the kids. I, I was, I'm so glad you brought that background and said that because I was, I was thinking as you were talking about the importance of teacher voice and of course the, the importance of student voice. But now think of how you can maximize the capacity of any learning institution and how you can keep up with students, the ever-changing students. And, and as these newer students come in with uh, you know, new technologies, new opportunities, if we listen to teacher voice and consider it their school and the teachers in turn are listening to the student voice and considering it their school, that just feeds up to us. And then all we have to do is rip down a couple walls and get rid of some barriers and we're good to go. That's it. That's exactly right. It, it, it goes back to that CIP continuous improvement. It's, and, it's, and it's doing it second nature now. It, it, we sit there and when we hit a barrier, you and I, we remove that barrier. Now, I always tell this to my, my practitioners and tell this to parents, guardians, and the community members. If we want our scholars to research and investigate like detectives do, then it is our job as the adult, it's, it's our job as the teacher leader, it's our job as the principal, or it's our job as the guardian to create an environment that is conducive for them to do so. And in that same context with our teachers, our practitioners, it's our job to create that environment for them to be successful as well. So you and I, we will, we will, I will dig in the trenches every day. I am never in my office unless I absolutely have to. I am never in, in these corridors. I am in that building, visible as visible can be. Kind of like you said, oh my goodness, he's everywhere. You better believe I'm everywhere, but I'm not Barney Fife hitting him over the right. head. Teach me how I can help you or help me help you. Uh, let's learn together. And when you build that trust, man, it's good. I'm telling you. Oh, yeah. When you can, when you walk into a classroom and the teachers involve you in the lesson and nothing ever stops, that's, that's when you know you're hitting something. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, I, 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 made a, I got on social media the other day and I said, I cannot wait until August 1st, my staff return, August 4th, the babies return, and I cannot wait until they get here. I am just so pumped up. And, you know, we're hoping that this is our first regular full normal year since the pandemic. Um, so we're so excited. I've got my senior meetings coming up already. They're getting, I've got 
band camp is taking place and just hearing the drums and the band out here, man, it's driving me insane. I love it. I truly That's really do. Awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> so we're getting near the end of this. Um, and I, I asked two questions of everybody. It's, it's, been, it's really been a blast talking to you, but um, I definitely have to ask these two questions because I think these are going to be some interesting answers. <laughs> <laughs> if you were an educational leader or an education, who, not what would you be? Who I would have to be a professional wrestler. Oh, that's got to be one of the most colorful. I just heard, honest to God, I was just interviewing somebody the other day for an episode. It hasn't aired yet. And they said a rock star, like a singer. Yeah. A professional wrestler, that's a great one. Talk to me. I can't let you just say that and walk off. The people that know me in my, my adult years, I am the biggest geek, the biggest nerd, whatever you want to call me. I'm always researching, trying to publish something, you know, working with the IHS. But anyway, I grew up. And uh, down a dirt road, I'm a dirt road country boy from the from the flat foots of Mississippi. I'm very proud of it. And uh, we grew up. My dad always helped me and my older brother, who lives in Nashville now. We had wrestling rings. We grew up during an era in the late '80s and early '90s where wrestling really began to take off. You know, when you you think about these old wrestlers, you know, I remember my brother and I. We would spend our allowance weekend. We would go to the local video store, you know, movie galleries, blockbuster back in the day. You know, we would stay up all night, eat pizza and popcorn, and watch wrestling. But um, I, I still to this day, so if I had to be a professional wrestler, I would have to have, it would have to be The Undertaker. Of course, he was my all-time favorite. Just get chills listening to Mark now and talk. Um, and if I wasn't the professional wrestler, I think I'd have to be Jim Ross, who is just the voice of iconic wrestling. You know, he, he really was. So that is something interesting, but that's what I would love to be. I I have to tell you, you're, you're talking my language. Now, I I might be dating myself a little bit, but do you remember the wrestling magazines? I do. I back have before, a lot of them. Yeah. Yeah, back before they all consolidated into the WWF, yeah. before they had to then change to the WWE. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I, was a, I was a Hulk Hogan fan. Yes. Bob Backlund, Bob Ultimate Beck. Warrior. The 80s, the late 80s, and when you had the rivalry oh. between Macho Man and Hulk Hogan, you know, oh. that was some. And then Andre, he's so beloved in the movement. Yeah. Um, that was absolutely amazing. And Big Gorilla Monsoon, if you go back even to the late 70s and see Big Gorilla show out. And, you know, I, I, I just seen the footage from 1996 Raw clip where Vader attacked a Gorilla Monsoon, but prior to Gorilla was beating up on him pretty good, you know. Oh, oh yeah. Gorilla Monsoon was a huge name. George the Animal Steel. George the Animal Steel was great. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. I consider talking about this for hours. <laughs> yeah, we can go down memory lane on this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you've you've said a lot of things, but one of the things I, I like to leave all the listeners with, especially, you know, like you said, this is this is some of the best professional development. What's one of the most important thing? leaders need to realize, remember, practice, or what do you want to leave them with as they work to better support, engage, and empower those they lead? I think if I can leave one single attribute for key leadership is, is this, is to always understand while making decisions and growing you, yourself as a practitioner, growing your people, that it's not about us in the driver's seat. And if we can have a level of humility and take the time to culturally understand the people in which we serve, then we as leaders can better build a platform to help grow and develop them. 
we become very humble in our practice. I mentioned to you the book From Good to Great, the all-time favorite of mine is the level of humility. You've got five type of leaders out there, uh, and those who, who, who get to that level five, you know, um, are very good. But if you, you know, in level one, two, three, four, and five, they're all good. But that, if I can leave anything, it's not about us, it's about them. And if we have that mentality, then we're going to be okay. Our movement is going to be okay. We have to rewrite our narrative of education. We have to start championing our teachers. We've got to champion the success of our scholars. And we have got to really practice our profession all over again. That is absolutely perfectly said. And, you know, it's so that's so meaningful to me about it's it's not about us. Because that's a line we walk, right? Uh, by default, as the as the leader of the building, you're out there and you're kind of the front person, but you have to continuously push it back to the people that it's actually about. And just one little thing, if I could share with the listeners of this uh, podcast, just one little way to start doing this, uh, it, low-hanging fruit, at your staff meetings, change your staff meetings so you're not talking all the time to people. But if you really want to change them up, Select somebody from your staff that runs your staff meeting. Give them the voice. Select your practitioners, even if they're, and right, and then you get into love languages and what people are comfortable with and things like that. But then select a couple that can stand up there together where maybe one talks or something. Have somebody different do it. I've had students take parts of my faculty meeting over. I've had teachers take part of my faculty meeting over where when I was first here, I had people come up to me, a couple of staff members come up to me and say, why don't you talk a lot of faculty meetings? It, it's about them. That's just, and that's just low hanging fruit. Yeah. You know, that simple basic thing that you just did created an atmosphere and a culture that will drive your school to a, to a level four or five or whatever your state accountability rating is. That will be a proficient school. That will be a successful school because you can get those teachers on board. And look, teachers are professionals just like every other type of, of, of realm out there, whether you're in, uh, practicing law, whether you're practicing medicine, we're practicing education. And the only way we're going to change the narrative of that is we as school leaders really push and promote that and get in the trenches, roll our sleeves up and say, you know what? I'm tired of having this perception because this is what we do. Before you were an attorney, before you were an MD, you were a student and a teacher shaped your life. So I get fired up about that. You know, I do. <laughs> just a little, just a little. <laughs> well, hey, uh, look, it, it's, it's been great talking to you. We, we've put a lot out there for people that I think they, they can go on. And if there is a chance or there's a way that they want to reach out to you and get back in touch with you, I know I want to reach out to you and stay in touch with you as we, as we move forward. What's the best way for people to do that? Well, you can, you know, I, I'm not, I'm just now becoming a pretty fluent, um, you know, Twitter member. You know, it, it's Twitter is some of the best PD out there. So if you wanted to follow me on Twitter, it's Ileadem. It's just I-L-E-A-D-E-M. That's, it's my car tag too. Small I, you know, Ileadem. Which I love, by the way. I saw that when, when I first reached out to you and it was I lead them. I was like, I like that handle. Yeah, yeah. you know, so, you know, and, and just for, for the small talk of leadership, you know, real quick, we have to embrace who we are. You either got it or you don't. 
and you know, kudos to our leaders. You know, we, we got to have them. But you know, it's it's I lead them. You know, I am on Facebook. It's just Joshua Yeager. I, I may have two or three hundred people. I'm not real big on Facebook. I guess so. Twitter would probably be the biggest outlet they could get get in touch with me. You know, find me. I'm out there. I'm actually writing a book, my first book. I'm really excited about it. And it, the title of is "Where Have All the Teachers Gone." I was going to say, you can't just drop that and leave it. What's the title? What it's, what's it about? Come yeah, on now. Yeah. yeah, it's called Where Have All the Teachers Gone? And it, and it talks about rewriting our narrative of education. It goes back, you know, I, I, I present some information of where we once were 50 years ago. I look at where we're at today. Why are our teachers leaving the profession? It's not about the money, as people think. It's not. We've got to challenge our culture here in America. We've got to put our teachers back where they belong, and that's on the forefront. So um, it's just really interesting. I plan to uh, complete the actual writing of it around November of this year. Very structured. So that's where I'm looking at. I'll be uh, sending out the information to you uh, as it becomes more available to me, but I'm very, very excited about that. So, uh, yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, so Twitter. Find me on Twitter. Cool. Well, thanks again. And um, hey, I look forward to talking to you some more in the future. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. Let's grow, go, and glow together, my man. Well, that's a wrap, but not the end. Next step, be sure to take action on something you heard here today. Thanks for listening to the Scene to Lead podcast. If you'd like to connect for any reason, email me at drchrissj at gmail.com or catch me on Twitter at Jones. If you've gotten any value from the Scene to Lead podcast, you can help me and other leaders create a world-class environment through a teacher-centric approach by subscribing to the show, leaving an honest rating and review, and sharing this episode on social media with your most valuable takeaway. Learn more at drcsjones.blog. Continue to improve and go have a successful week. And now a quick word from our sponsor, Jigsaw Learning. Whether you lead at the school, district, or division level, you're serving a wide array of students, and you know that no one person has all the answers when it comes to meeting each of their needs. That's why Jigsaw Learning helps leaders and their staff and faculty to develop a collaborative approach. Every child deserves a team, and when you put together the pieces of effective collaboration, you can realize that team's full potential. Connection relationships, and authentic collaboration are at the foundation of Jigsaw Learning's work. Through professional learning presented on-site, online, or a blend of both, Jigsaw's team of experienced learning associates works with you to develop a personalized plan to help collaborative response thrive in your organization. Learn why educators have described working with Jigsaw Learning as powerful, wonderful, and beneficial for all students. Visit jigsawlearning.ca and connect with the team for information. That's jigsawlearning.ca. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flex time without the common challenges. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com B to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. 
That's myflexlearning.com slash B-E.